If you're curious to engage with a lot of the topics we explore on the podcast in more creative and embodied ways, we welcome you to join us in Alchemize, our 10-week audio-based program of daily imagination practices intended to disrupt status quo ways of thinking, sensing, relating, and being. To be honest, without any grant support for our show right now, and we did just get turned down by several mainstream environmentalism philanthropies, this program and our Patreon are our primary means of supporting our labor for these free podcasts right now. We really want to remain untethered to corporate interests, and every small contribution to our Patreon or enrollment in our program Alchemize helps to ensure that we can continue producing these vital conversations that feature voices and perspectives often sidelined from mainstream media. So if you value our work and want to dive deeper with us, join us in Alchemize today at greendreamer.com slash alchemize and join our Patreon starting at just $3 at patreon.com slash greendreamer. Thank you so, so much for however you were able to support our work during these critical times. We are so deeply grateful. When we talk about things like climate crisis or any kind of crisis we're in, oftentimes we're looking at it through one lens, such as we need to burn less fossil fuels. But at the root of it, obviously, is our own humanity and what it is that we want out of the world, seeing how the crossover between all the different religions, if we could live by some of the values that they teach us to aspire to, again, we'd be able to circumvent some of the issues we're facing now. Hey, it's Kamea Shane, and this is Green Dreamer, a podcast exploring our paths to holistic healing, eco-regeneration, and true abundance and wellness for all. This is a community-backed show. That's what allows us to be unfiltered and go into every territory possible. So if you find our work valuable, you can support us at patreon.com slash green dreamer. We are hoping to reach our next Patreon goal as soon as possible to be able to continue on with the next season. And if every person listening to this right now who has just $2 to spare chipped in, I'm sure we would get there in no time. So thank you so much for your support, whether through joining our Patreon, if you can, or Otherwise, sharing the show and leaving us a five-star review in the podcast app. In this episode, we welcome Michael Lees, a Dominican filmmaker and photographer whose work explores themes of survival, environmentalism, spirituality, and island life, aiming to connect the dots in the bigger picture. Never one to shy away from bold decisions, in 2017, Michael embarked on his latest project, Uncivilized, which would lead him into the forests of Dominica, where he would eventually face Category 5 Hurricane Maria alone in the forest in a palm leaf hut. So stay Stay tuned as we hear about his journey through that experience, about the questions he had about modern life and the dominant culture that led him to embark on this solo trip to begin with, what he had unlearned and learned about the limitations of how we view progress on a linear path, and so much more. So Green Dreamer, if you're ready, take a deep breath and let's dive in. I was born in the UK. My dad's from Newcastle, Northeast England. My mom's family immigrated from Barbados in the Caribbean. And when I was five, we moved to Dominica, which is known as the nature island of the Caribbean and still has sort of a lot of 
natural, not just natural resources, but a very natural landscape, clean rivers, mountains, waterfalls, all of that. Although obviously it's a developing island. And then I went to college in the U.S. and worked in New York for some time. And I think kind of going between those two, in some sense, you had this divide between sort of the developed countries of the U.K. and the U.S., which is sort of what we were told we're supposed to aspire to. And yet also being in Dominica and not having necessarily all of the material advancements, but still feeling like there was something very special and profound and sort of the deep fundamentals of life that we had here Mm. and then I guess on top of that just once you start school work whatever it else it is you end up on this treadmill of nine to five or longer and I think there's just a sense that you feel I guess somewhat alienated from the world and the natural world and then somewhat to yourself as well and I don't know about you if you've ever had I'm sure you have experiences backpacking or just extended time in nature. I feel like in those moments, all of a sudden you get to plug back into a living world and get to know yourself a little better. So I think those, I would say, are the the sort of things that led up to this experience. So a lot of what we're going to talk about today, of course, is based on your film, Uncivilized, because Mm -hmm. as a filmmaker, you documented your journey after raising the questions, why did man ever leave the forest and what makes for a good life? So can you give our listener an overview of where you ended up going to seek answers to these questions and just a synopsis of what happened that became the storyline of Uncivilized? Yeah, so in 2016, I moved back from the States to Dominica. And even from before I left, I I had this idea that I wanted to do this project. So I worked for a bit, saved up the money I needed for the last bits of equipment. And then I went out to basically a forest spot on the towards the east coast of the island, which is more foresty and less populated. Originally, the plan was to go sort of with just like Stone Age type tools, but I didn't quite get the chances. I wanted to learn everything I needed to do that. So I made some compromises. I did have a machete, a lighter, a knife, obviously my my camera equipment and dry bags to keep all of that dry, some emergency gear. That's still very no minimal. <laughs> yeah. So no tent, no pots and pans or anything like that. Wow. With the goal basically to in some sense, like you said, like to retrace our steps to see what life would have been like, some semblance of life would have been like way back in the day. And to, I guess, also see like living that way, obviously you're without a lot of material things. And part of my hypothesis was that desire is probably one of the major issues that is causing the climate crisis and every other kind of crisis that we're in right now. And so maybe if we could have traced our way back and found that we could have been happy with what we had and not kept wanting more, maybe we could have been living just as happily then, like now if we were living in that state, but obviously without all the perils that have been added as a byproduct of our modern world. So I said about, I was there for, the plan was to live there for six months. I ended up doing three months because halfway through category five hurricane maria hit but up until then i spent a lot of time just working on my shelter and fixing it up cutting bamboo and palm leaves and stuff like that i did 
kind of got protein two or three times a week just because it was such a hassle to start a fire in the damp rainforest all the time. So that was catching crabs, fishing, and river snails. Oh, and also reading, I ended up reading the Bhagavad Gita again and the Buddhist scriptures, and I read the the uh, Christian Bible, King James Bible, for the very first time while I was out there. When we talk about things like climate crisis or any kind of crisis we're in, oftentimes we're looking at it through one lens, such as we need to burn less fossil fuels. But at the root of it, obviously, is our own humanity and what it is that we want out of the world and how do we how do we view ourselves in the whole in the bigger picture. So I think, you know, while I'm diving into this and, and actually getting some really interesting like ancient history through reading the Old Testament, also seeing how the crossover between all the different religions, if we could live by some of the values that they teach us to aspire to, again, we'd be able to circumvent some of the issues we're facing now. Mm. Lots to unpack from what you just said. <laughs> I want to rewind a little bit. So you went into the forest. I mean, you said you wanted to use only Stone Age tools, but um, you compromised a little bit. But still, you went with like a very minimal set of tools and supplies and some very basic survival skills. So I'm curious, where did you learn those skills from? And what safety precautions did you take to make sure that this was an experiment, but ultimately you wouldn't be able to call for help or have an out if you needed to? Or did you not have a plan B entirely. No, no, no. I had a plan B. A lot of okay. people thought I was crazy, but um, <laughs> I, I did not want to end up like uh, as much as I love into the wild. There's many lessons <laughs> from that where you're like, okay, let's not be that guy. So I already knew how to fish growing up here. I just line fishing and I started practicing again leading up to it. I had started trying to learn how to make fire without a lighter, but never succeeded. I ended up buying some bushcraft books. And then also there on the East Coast, we still actually have an indigenous population that remains in Dominica called the Kalinago, which they got wiped out in a lot of the Caribbean through colonization and the development processes after. So I also went out there and someone taught me how to build like a fish trap just out of natural materials and bird traps, stuff like that. And then, the, yeah, the rest, I guess, was through books, YouTube, and practice. The good thing, again, being in, in a tropical place is it's not quite as punishing an environment as Alaska, for instance, where if you make one little mistake, it could all be over. And then in terms of precautions, so I had, don't, don't think too many things about this, I had a cell phone. But nobody no had the number. Nobody had the number except my parents. So this was just like a lifeline in case of anything. No, we're and glad then, you did that. <laughs> <laughs> but there was no there's no data on my phone. There's no scrolling through Instagram or music or anything like that. And then I also got it was like this GPS beacon that I think sailors use or people on the sea. So if you got into trouble. If, for instance, the hurricane came and I got completely trapped out there, I could basically, it's a sat-nav, like, registered online GPS. And so I could just, like, trigger it, and then that would give out my GPS location. So did you ride out the entire hurricane by yourself in the forest? I did. I did. How was that? 
Well, so that day, someone had come to warn me. Someone who knew I was from the valley came to warn me that a hurricane was coming. But at that time, it was like a one or a two. So I tried to do some like rough calculations in my head and see, you know, what does 50 miles or 60 miles per hour mean in terms of wind. And I decided I'd be able to write it out. And so I basically set about like shoring up my shelter with coconut fronds, as ridiculous as it sounds, which actually did the job. <laughs> and then I kind of stored up on water and was sort of waiting for this to come. And all day it was just sort of ominous, but almost like eerily still. And I was almost thinking, you know what, maybe this thing is going to miss us. But by nightfall, it was a whole different ball game. Like the, the wind started coming down, the, the rain started coming down. I was between two rivers, like far enough away that I wouldn't get washed away. But you could like feel and hear massive boulders being tossed down the river. And I guess it was a little different in the forest than for people in town areas because I had the forest as a windbreak. But every so often, you know, you'd, you'd hear the wind roaring all around, but every so often a big sustained gust would make it all the way through the forest to where I was. And then I'd shine my little headlamp out and I'd see the vines that were hanging down all of a sudden hanging parallel to the ground. <laughs> and during those couple seconds, if that lasted for more than a couple seconds, that's when you just started to hear crack, crack, crack of trees coming down. And those are the moments of just like sheer terror of just like bracing and just like my he hand, my arm above my head, just kind of like screaming, holding on for dear life. <laughs> and then it would pass and I'd be like, okay, everything's okay. I'm okay. But obviously that just sort of continued and got worse. And there were some trees I was worried about in my area. And at a certain point, you know, it just got so intense. And obviously I, I'm realizing there's nowhere to go. It's, it's a dark forest. I'm between two rivers. I'm definitely going to get nailed if I try and make a run for it anywhere. So I just had to basically kind of sit tight and in many ways surrender to what was to come. And interestingly enough, I had this like sort of quick life review of all the great experiences and people that had sort of colored my life up until now and said thank you for that and then sort of just said what happens <laughs> is going to happen. <laughs> and eventually a tree that I had been worried about did come down, but apparently, I guess through luck and some not too shabby calculations, the trunk missed my shelter or it just clipped the corner. And then, but the branch that was obviously still connected landed straight on top of my shelter and just sort of pancaked it down to about three feet off the ground. And I was sitting, I was sitting under there at the time I still don't know how I came out of the whole experience without a scratch, without a bruise. And once that tree came down, I basically knew I was safe because everything was so pinned down that there was nothing else that was going to fly away. And anything that landed on top, I was sheltered by the tree that had already fallen. Did you sleep at all throughout the entire duration of the hurricane? So, you know, I'm still trying to figure out if the hurricane had passed or not based on my timestamps. I think that after the tree had fallen, it was like the, uh, the eye of the storm came after. And I think I just knocked out from exhaustion after that. Once I had, I guess, assessed that everything was, I was safe, I just completely knocked out until the next day, which was 
one of the trippiest moments of my entire life. Like, and I filmed this too, crawling out from under the rubble and looking around. I'd been under the forest canopy this whole time, lush green forest, step outside, and there's not a single leaf left on a single tree. It just looked like the whole place had been bombed. And I think I just immediately teared up just from shock of I'd never seen that kind of destruction before in my life. And I guess a month or two later, I'd find out that it wasn't, or maybe a couple of weeks, it wasn't a Category 1 or a Category 2. It had basically parked off the edge of the island, knocked out communications, and then powered up to a Category 5 storm. And it basically just kind of went into the island and then up the spine and off so it i think it was about 90 percent of housing stock was damaged mm. on the island so our listeners should definitely go check out your film to experience this journey with you and throughout the course of this show and its many episodes we've learned to question many commonly accepted norms such as the dominant concept of development and progress and i know this is something that came up for you as well as you witnessed and experienced surviving hurricane maria in dominica which by the metrics of the dominant economic system like you mentioned earlier is considered relatively poor so what revelations did you have in terms of our perceptions of forward and advancement? And what have you unlearned since then? I'm really happy you said all of that. It makes my job a lot easier <laughs> and great to just find someone else on the same wavelength. What was so interesting after Maria was we, we had our electricity knocked out, our running water knocked out, obviously no internet, and for a good amount of time, no supermarkets, no banks. So it was really like you had been shot back in time. But the amazing thing I thought was the grace that we were all able to survive such an event on this island in comparison to if it had happened so many other places, even in the Caribbean. Because we have not developed to the point where our rivers and water sources are polluted, everyone just went back basically to washing by the river we literally we have a lot of natural springs where you can collect water it was interesting there's certain food elements we have that are like traditional that as a kid you don't necessarily know why which was like smoked meats and salted fish and then after an experience like this you understand it's because they didn't have refrigeration that long ago and this was a way of preserving meats so all of that was utilized and then, of course, a lot of the country is in small communities. And so you just sort of had that community togetherness and community support coming in when there were no official systems to sort of tell people what to do or to provide. So, in, yeah, in many ways, it was, it was quite a revelation. But it was also interesting, you know, after, after the the storm, especially in the immediate aftermath, and especially in the bigger towns, there was a lot of looting and free-for-all that went on. And that was an interesting thing to witness. And it made me, on the one hand, what you see is that when there are no systems in place to make sure everyone acts correctly, you're going to see both the best and the worst out of people. But it's also made me question if, if without, if a government had never been in place, if this is always how 
every community or country would act or if it is sort of the reaction after you've had a, a country of, of state governance and law and order and now all of a sudden that's gone and you feel like, aha, that's gone, I can do what I want now. It's a question I've asked, just especially even when you, you read some of the foundational political scientists like Hobbes, who says that life for, for man in the natural state is short, nasty, and brutish, or whatever the quote is. And so I guess at the, at the end of the day, my take was that I think it's important to see that a lot of these developing countries, places that, that haven't, I guess, developed all the way in the traditional sense, have some very valuable things for themselves and also just to, to offer the world. But at the same time, you can still see the value in our modern amenities and technologies and everything. The ideal world would be one where we could implement these technologies and everything else for a more fair and just world in a way that was not environmentally damaging. I guess the question that we're all faced with is, is that a real possibility or does a certain amount of baggage just come with you know, whichever sort of model you choose? time that I will see your face Is this the last time that I'll be with you in this place And I don't know it's over No, I don't know it for sure And I Through the course of filming Uncivilized and your personal journey surviving the hurricane, you've also realized the importance of your spiritual awakening. And I do think we need a collective consciousness shift if we want to really realize a more sustainable and just future. But a lot of this sort of deep transformation can't be taught or told to somebody. One has to sort of experience it for themselves firsthand. And then also to experience it, one has to be open to the possibility of another way of being and seeing the world. Like you had your curiosity in place before you were able to unlearn and learn everything that you mm -hmm. did. But there are also so many things that our dominant society indoctrinates into the minds of everyday people that lead us to perceive certain made up and fabricated social constructs as basic truths, such as what development should look like or this idea of land ownership or human superiority and mm -hmm. so forth. So what was it that gave way to your own spiritual awakening? And because that can sound kind of vague, what did that look like for you and how did it change you? I think that began actually with a reckoning around death i kind of i guess i'd grown up with christianity around but it never sort of did much for me and i would have considered myself an atheist through high school and, and maybe after but having that mindset when you finally reckon with yourself that you're gonna die and this is all there is then obviously you wonder well what is it all about and if that's the case as well, when you finally come to grips with it, I think in many ways it, it frees you up because you no longer have to live 
in a way that has been prescribed by your parents or society or anyone else. You realize literally you've got this 80 years if you're lucky and you can essentially create whatever you want out of it. And I think from there that sent me on asking a lot of questions and and looking at different religious texts. It also has made me think, I guess, understanding also the interconnectedness of everything as well and our place, which is is not, I guess, the place that we usually give ourselves is sort of this top of the pyramid rather than something that is more egalitarian and networked and plugged in to the rest of of the world. I think one of the biggest things that also happened, especially while I was in the forest, was finally actually learning to be present. It's one of those things you read about and it sounds great and da 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 da. But I think when it finally when you finally have moments where it happens, it's like pretty much almost the entire universe just opens up in that moment. Space and time open up. And there's this deep sense of, I don't want to say fulfillment, maybe joy. Joy might be be the word. And I think that if you can carry, if you carry that sort of sense with you throughout the world, then of course you wouldn't want to just extract everything out of it and, and leave it for dead. You are a part of this greater thing going on and obviously i think it's it's rather than thinking of ourselves as owners of this place it's to think of ourselves as stewards of the place we've been gifted a certain amount of intellect and power to to shape the world and i think almost like i almost feel like we're we're in our adolescent stage where you know we've got all this power but we haven't quite matured to know how to use it responsibly maybe we just need to build into our educational systems the experience that you had so like maybe we just need to be taught some basic survival skills or like a lot of survival the proper survival skills and then be tossed into some woods by ourselves so we can kind of just have these potential transformations as you've had for yourself and this was also in your recommended topics which intrigued me although i'm not really sure where it's gonna go but you mentioned seeing humans as a potential transition species can you expand upon your thoughts on this and what that would mean for us going forward i think there's a lot of young kids right now who are terrified of the idea of human extinction the same way that i was at one stage terrified of the idea of death and I think that there is, again, a freeness that opens up once you're no longer fearful of the end. And you can say, you know what, this is sort of what it is. Maybe our place is not to be the torchbearer of life and to carry that throughout the entire universe. Maybe just like 99% of other species, we're just meant to be here for a time and Either something else evolves out of us or we die off and some other branch of, of life and existence is what becomes intelligent and carries things on. Because it does sometimes you, you do have to wonder, looking at the world right now, if we are sort of intellectually and spiritually equipped to wield our power responsibly and everything else, maybe, like we're saying, maybe we're not. Maybe we were supposed to, we got things this far, but maybe at the end of the day, we're not a viable 
long-term solution. Very deep things to think about. And <laughs> again, I love the conversations that just leave a lot more questions at the end, things for us to keep pondering. And as we're closing off our main discussion, what else do you feel called to share that I didn't get to ask you about? And what would you like to invite our listener to think more about or take action on after listening to this conversation? So just to circle back on what you were saying earlier about teaching these things, I think it's interesting in a lot of other cultures, there's sort of initiation rites and rites of passage, which are sort of, I think, missing from our current Western world. There are, I know there are tribes where actually you have to do exactly something like I did, and they send you out. And if you come back, everything you've gone through will sort of give you a new awareness. Other things, I think something interesting is to think about the nature of time. I think that we often think of it linearly, which is why we often talk about backwards and forwards, which also then kind of gets superimposed on this idea of developed or undeveloped. But I've been thinking about time as sort of more as a circle or maybe even a spiral where we hit back on certain points over and over, maybe in different forms, and that progress is possible or can happen, but it's no longer if you were just following the line from one point to one point, it's a lot slower because it's, let's say we're spiraling inwards. You have to go a lot longer distance than if you traveled straight from the outside of the circle to the center. You wanna know what love is You wanna feel it in your bones You wanna have the answers, my friend But you never really know until the end And I don't know it's over So what is one uplifting social media account or publication you follow or a book that's been really profound for you? I'm not sure if you're familiar with a book called Island by Aldous Huxley. So Huxley is known for um, Brave New World, which is his dystopian novel. But he actually made a counter argument called Island, which was his final novel and his utopian counterpoint. And that he really synthesizes like everything from the environment and farming to spirituality and essentially sort of trying to have a, a cohesive vision of all the things you would need essentially to produce a sustainable society and a, a life, a life, I guess, economy or a life society. So that has been one of the most influential books and has had a really big impact on me. What do you tell yourself to stay motivated and inspired? As bleak as the outlook is at times, we don't know what the future is. We have overcome a lot of things in the past. We don't know how, um, I guess, technology, what, what technological breakthroughs we might have to possibly stave off the impending doom. And I think, again, at the end of the day, even if that, all of that happens, I think I've made peace with the idea that humanity might go extinct and to still try and appreciate the gift of life that we've been given to exist in this current time. 
And what makes you most hopeful for our planet and world at the moment? You know, recently I've been looking at the stocks, and it's been quite interesting to see how much money is going towards renewable energy, and that even players like Shell have invested in renewable energy. And I also think that as certain systems or certain governments look like they might be breaking down, that maybe actually this invites an opportunity for us to rebuild our systems better. Well, Green Dreamer, if you want to watch Michael's film, Uncivilized, you can find it at uncivilizedfilm.com. You can also follow him on Instagram at uncivilizedfilm or at Mike underscore please. Michael, thank you so much for joining us today. We're so glad that you survived the hurricane, okay? (laughs) And you came out the other side with all of these really thought-provoking points for us to think about. So thank you so much. What final words of wisdom do you have for us as Green Dreamers? Final words, nothing lasts, but nothing is lost. Green Dreamer, we've come full circle here. We are now gearing up to begin working on our next season of the show as this current one will wrap up with episode 300, which is a huge milestone for us. And we're so proud and grateful to have you along on this ride. That said, we really need to meet our next Patreon goal to be able to continue the show. So if you can afford to spare some change, starting at just $2, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash greendreamer or make a one-time contribution at greendreamer.com slash paypal. Remaining mostly supported by listeners directly, like you, is how we're able to cover such a wide range of topics and never feel the need to self-censor when we talk about corporate powers because we're not interested in working with or building relationships with corporations. We're interested in actually critiquing them and being able to be as unfiltered, unapologetic, and truthful as we can be in service of providing diverse perspectives for you. So I really do want to thank all of our past and current supporters for making our show up till now possible. And again, if you'd like to join in, and if you can, you can support us at patreon.com slash green dreamer. If you're struggling financially, though, I know it's a difficult time for so many people. Please do not worry at all. Please take care of yourself and your loved ones first. And you can also support us by sharing the episodes that you're listening to with your friends and leaving us a five-star review in the podcast app. Anyhow, today's intermission song featured was Over by Luna Beck. Our audio producer is Scott Donnell. Our production intern is Spencer Carter. And I'm your host, Kamea Shane. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I will catch you in the next episode.